Okay, very good. Well, my name is Brad Kent, and I'm the UIL State Director of Music. Welcome to Sketchbook Podcast, a discussion about inspiration and process with artists, creators, and designers. As always, I'm your host, Daniel Montoya Jr., Dr. Kent, Dr. Brad Kent. Yes, great to be here. Oh, yes, yes. I I was going to ask you, sir, why are you on this podcast? Well, I received (laughs) an invitation, um, and um, you and I talked about this back, I think we talked about it in the fall, maybe at the State Marching Band Championships this year. Yes, you had a lot going on. Yeah, that's a busy three days, a fun three days, but you had mentioned maybe doing this, and Mm -hmm. um, I welcome the opportunity anytime we can sit down and talk about the UIL process and... um, you know, dispel some of the mysteries surrounding what we do. Sure. I, I, I love doing that. That's so, awesome. So thank you for the invitation. No, it's great no, to be here. I'm sure everyone's going, how did he get him on the podcast? Because <laughs> everyone up to your point has been trash. It's crazy. Oh, so, please. I mean, no, golly. It's, it's great to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, 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 no. This, this, is, this is fantastic. So um, you are the state director of music for the university. Oh, boy, we're going to record that one all over again. I got nervous. Yeah. I've never been this nervous before. That is a mouthful. The University Interscholastic League. I have to slow down when I say that, yes. too. And you'd be surprised how many people don't know what the UIL stands for. Like, seriously. People from UIL? No, well, no. <laughs> I mean, like hopefully in- not. <laughs> <laughs> but no, people in Texas, yeah. Now, Gabe Ucella doesn't know what it stands what, for. What is that? You right. Know? Yes. And, and, well, you've already, I'm not even going to re-record it. Um, so you oversee a system that provides educational competition for some 7,500,000 mm-hmm. student participants in Texas. What exactly does the state director of music do? Like, what's your day-to-day? What's your life like? Where do you go to work? Let's uh, talk about your job. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's exciting. Every day is different. So, yeah, we serve um, approximately 750,000 annual participants in our events, and our events range everything. Obviously, everybody knows about marching band, but sure. actually our largest event is concert and sight reading. Would make sense. Because that's middle school mm-hmm. and high school, and it's band, choir, and orchestra. So we have approximately, out of that 750, 50,000, about 300,000 of those or so are concert and sight reading participants. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's, that's obviously a big chunk of what we do. And solos and small ensembles and marching band, those are our, our largest events. Um, mm-hmm. So, gosh, what do I do on a daily basis? Well, every day is different. You know, our, <laughs> uh, what we do is it basically mirrors what a teacher does. You know, our year is cyclical. Um, we're mirroring what the, 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 the music teachers are doing on an academic calendar. We're usually a little bit ahead of what they're doing because we're preparing for what's coming next mm-hmm. while they're doing what they may currently be doing. For example, and that's not necessarily true in marching band because I know that's year round now, but, <laughs> Absolutely. That's right. but, um, you know, like right now we are preparing for the state mariachi festival, which mm. is coming up. Um, the third weekend in February mm-hmm. and uh, that we're hosting that at uh, University of Texas Rio Grande Valley sure. in Edinburgh. We've been there now. This is a, our third year. And so that'll be the weekend after the TMEA convention. Oh, yes. So, yeah, we, we've had a little bit of a, a lull, so to speak, as far as travel and events mm-hmm. go since mm-hmm. the state marching band championships. But now we're about to hit it again with 
with getting ready for that. So, you know, on a daily basis, gosh, we, we answer a lot of questions mm-hmm. about um, um, this time of the year, specifically the PML. So when I say PML, the prescribed music yes. list. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people are choosing their literature right now, early January, late December. So they have questions about, well, you know, the prescribed music list says this and mm-hmm. specs. It says play this movement or this movement. Does it really play, mean play this movement or this movement? And so, you know, we're just, uh, we're there as a resource to uh, answer those questions. We like to say that our two main tasks are to provide information and service. And so mm-hmm. the information is to answer people's questions and the service is to hopefully do our best in um, providing our events, improving our events, um, looking at the big picture uh, for what all the programs in the state are doing, you know, mm-hmm. everything from the tiny schools to the largest schools in the state and everything in between. So uh, that's probably um, the most challenging part of what we do is serving all size schools because we think about that every day in the, in the decisions we make and the processes we have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there's music, drama, sports, academics. Yeah, so we have we have three divisions at the UIL, uh, which is a little different than you might imagine, but we have athletics, mm-hmm. which is huge. I guess. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> imagine that, right? <laughs> uh, athletics in Texas, right. Um, and then we have academics mm-hmm. and we have music. Music is its own division. And the reason being simply is the number of students that participate. Sure. So academics, at the UIL, uh, one-act play falls under the academic division. Oh, okay. So we have an, uh, a one-act play director, theater director, if you will, mm-hmm. and uh, that person um, falls under the academic department. Again, because it's, it's simply a um, number of students we serve. Sure, yeah. sure. Wow. All right. So there's like three of you that meet in a dark room. There are- <laughs> you, you turn the keys at the same time, and you nod, and nothing gets recorded. It's a, it's a dark room, and... No dark room. No, 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 no. No, there are windows, I promise. Um, but no, there, there are three of us. So the director of athletics, the director of academics, and, and myself. Mm-hmm. So, and we work together with a, a leadership team, an executive directory, and our uh, deputy executive director, and a few other people to um, work to facilitate this whole process mm-hmm. and hopefully best serve the kids in the state. And I assume y'all's offices are on the UT campus, the University of Texas at Austin campus? Yes. For those we, listening in Tennessee. Yes, we are on the campus of the University of Texas at Austin. We're actually a part of the University of Texas, so mm-hmm. we're a state agency, which is, is a little unusual in for our organization because similar organizations in other states are private associations, kind of oh. like the TMEA is mm-hmm, here in mm-hmm. Texas. But uh, this goes back to the University of Texas founding the UIL, hence the university part of our name. Makes sense. In 1910, uh, we actually started as a debate league. So believe it or not, debate came before athletics in the what? UIL. Uh, Probably debating about a score that took place. Well, exactly. So <laughs> it, right. So um, athletics came shortly after that. And music, we were the last ones to the party. We did not become a part of the UIL till 1946, right after... World War II. So yes, we are a part of the University of Texas. Um, we uh, Our building, our offices are on the campus, mm-hmm. but they're on the east side of I-35. So a lot of people oh think, God. well, that's not on campus. It actually is are on you, Are campus, you by Dishbaugh but, Field? It's the baseball uh, stadium. Yes, yes. We're uh, our building, a three-floor bu- building that's uh, just behind Dishbaugh. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's pretty close to Franklin's barbecue, isn't it? Uh, close enough. It, it is. Yeah, right down the street. It's on Manor Road. So right down the street from all those great Manor Road wow. establishments. So, so lunch for the UIL is pretty good. It can be. 
<laughs> right, right, right. The salty sow is a short walk. Well, now, it's good that they're not open for lunch because we might just be there all go. the time. Because you know all those student instrument fees come in. You're like, boys, <laughs> let's go. I'm I'm not I'm not insinuating any mispropriety takes place, but you know, okay. so you're so calm and demure and professional, but you play trombone. Please explain that. Oh my gosh! Yes, <laughs> I, I, I am a recovering trombonist. Um, yeah, that uh, that's my instrument, and so I started in sixth grade, like a lot of people, mm-hmm. and um, um, I'm I'm embarrassed to say that I don't play anymore. What I should I know You're I should. Like, oh my god, life gets in the way, you know, and um, I I miss that very much. But yes, I'm a, a trombone player by trade. Wow. Now now this is not in your biography, but where did you go to middle school? Wow. So, okay. I have to go back a few years here. Just a little. Um, yeah. <laughs> Easy now. <laughs> yeah. Just a few years ago. Um, I grew up in Louisiana. So that uh, makes all the sense in the world. Yeah, now. exactly. Trombone, Boy. Louisiana. I know here we go with the jokes. Right? Yes. Yes. Um, no, I grew up there. Um, actually I was born in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, you were just, I, you're just Southern through and through, I, aren't you? I am. <laughs> and I, I, I would have gone to Lassiter high school. No we, way. Really? Yeah, yeah. We lived in Marietta, and, uh-huh. but my dad's job, we relocated. We lived a couple of different places. We lived in actually in East Texas. And then my dad was in the wood products business. And okay. so we lived in Oregon for a couple of years. Oh and, yeah. They got wood up there. Right. Yeah. They do trees right yeah, uh-huh. yeah and so we ended up in louisiana so that's where i went to middle school and high school so uh, i went to a very small high school very mm-hmm. small middle school i had about 120 in my graduating class wow yeah. um and my parents uh had both gone to lsu and um so by nature i was curious about lsu and sure. visited there and i uh, had a great experience and i ended up auditioning there and um went there for my undergraduate degree and had a had a great experience However, you're jumping ahead in my script. Oh, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. I, that's why I said middle school. But okay, well, yeah, but, we're already college. Now. Well, great. Just the whole interview's done at this All point. Right. So, so I'll, I'll shut up. So no, 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 no. It's no, no, sir. You may say whatever <laughs> you would like, please. Um, so, as a trombone player, um, those who follow you on Facebook, you always post funny clothes items with trombones on them. How much gear do you own that has trombones on it? Or are you just fronting for the kids and you don't actually have any of that? Oh, uh, yeah. It's all a facade. Oh, I know. I know. At least Julie Giroux, she has those things and you just... I, like, yeah. I, I have to be honest here. I don't <laughs> I don't have... I do have a... Uh, I, on my high school letter jacket, I have a trombone pin. But other than that, I, I don't know that I have any... You know, I take that back. I do have a um, one of those little trombone statues in my office one of those stick figure statues oh, yeah, sure. that uh-huh. they used to make. I yeah, don't know if yeah. they make I, them anymore. I have one playing piano. Yeah, uh, exactly. Okay, so yeah, I have one of those, but no, I don't have the shoes or the shirt. I just, I see that stuff and just think it's really fun. You don't have a, like a tie with the trombone? I, it gets longer as the slide goes out you know, or anything like that? You know, I don't. Oh, I, I'm, well, I know. So for all, the, all of you listening at home, <laughs> if you want to get in good with UIL, Dr. Brad Kent loves trombone paraphernalia. So... Um, okay, so you are also the conductor and music director of the Texas Youth Wind Symphony, which is a group comprised of high school musicians throughout the greater Austin, Texas area. I imagine making music with a truly extracurricular ensemble is different than prepping for UIL, huh? <laughs> yeah, in fact, we had rehearsal yesterday, so we're in the middle of our process right now. Mm-hmm. Um, the group, uh, we rehearse from January to March, so we do. We have a short season. We sure. do one concert, mm-hmm. new oh, auditions okay. in December, mm-hmm. and uh, so so we started yesterday was our third rehearsal out of eight. Um, okay. It's Sunday afternoons, and our concert is this year on Monday night, March 9th at Bates Recital. So you get you get off, and then you go to UI, and then you go to TMEA, huh? Uh, 
Wow, so that's fast. That's yeah, that's, yeah, that's fast. yeah. It's it's a good amount of time mm-hmm, though, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's such a pleasure to work with those outstanding musicians. Right, right. Okay, okay, that's cool. And it's at, you said at Bates, so I imagine you were did you rehearse in Bates every time? Um, we we rehearse at the School of Music, mm-hmm. um, either in the band hall or orchestra hall, usually. Wow. Okay. And you started what three or four years ago? This is year six. Oh, geez. Yeah. Already. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Time flies. Yeah. So did you when you when you took over the the job? Did you just miss doing band? And you're like, I'm going to start a youth band because we don't have one. Here. Here. Right. Um, so when I lived in Dallas, Fort Worth, before moving here in 2012, um, I was the director of fine arts in the Richardson School mm-hmm. District up there, and the we'll lo- get to, yes. the Lone Star, um, oh yeah, Lone Star Wind Orchestra mm-hmm. in the uh, DFW area. Um, we collaborated to start a youth group up there in 2010 Mm -hmm. and uh, I was the conductor of that group and we were just getting it going in year (laughs) three and then this opportunity came we moved to Austin and um, so you know I it it gives me a little bit of an artistic outlet and Mm -hmm. um, you know I hope that the students enjoy that opportunity to make music in a um, in an additional setting right 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 Um, (laughs) I would be remiss if I didn't correct um even the head of music for uil do you currently live in austin texas sir i live in cedar park texas okay, just want to make sure. i do just I for the want, i don't want to get called out no you're, I, you're like oh you didn't you didn't get dr kent on that one but you'll get jason robb so, so i just i have to stick to my you you can i'm, I'm no longer on the broadcast by the way for uil after this because uh he's upset um so professional sports do you enjoy them oh my gosh well i i love sports and so uh i will have to say i love college athletics uh, more like more we'll than professional sports but yeah i love sports so are you a saints fan then i i am mm-hmm. um believe it or not i'm more of a dallas cowboys fan than a saints fan boy then i need to pull up some different questions i i know great. but and you know Oh, you would think because of where I grew up, but, uh-huh. but we also lived in Texas when I was a kid for a while, and my dad grew up in Texas, so he's a native Texan, and so uh, it was, I guess, in the DNA to just love the Cowboys. So yeah, I've been loyal all these years. Wow. I'm still loyal. Um, sometimes I ask myself why, but I'm still. <laughs> you're answering all the questions I was going to ask here because you're, I think, the third guest on this podcast to actually like the Dallas Cowboys because so many people who come up here are either Eagles fans or just Cowboys haters. You know. Then people ask yeah. my team, it's like whoever's playing the Cowboys that weekend. I'm just not a Cowboys fan. I like the Oilers back in the day. Yeah, so, yeah. so you've answered why uh, Why do you like the Cowboys. How, how do you feel about all the Cowboys haters or the Eagles fans or that, you know, they come on here and just talk talk trash it means that uh you know i i get it i mean everybody loves their their team you uh-huh. know and it's kind of fun to talk trash a little bit <laughs> but, um, for for me you know i i just like watching the event you know mm-hmm. i love um analyzing what they're doing and i kind of i guess i kind of think like a coach you know so i'm watching it i want the cowboys to win sure or whatever team i'm pulling for mm-hmm. but it, it's not as an emotional experience for me as it is more of an analytical experience. Oh, wow, so I'm looking at different. like, well, you know what defense are they running? Yeah. And what offense are they running? And why is this successful uh-huh. and this isn't? And so I'm kind of weird like that. I, that that's, yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, so, Jason Garrett, like, I mean, were you, do you throw your hands up in the air? Like, why are you doing that? Oh, right? yeah. Wow, that's a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be an anonymous one. You can't say who you are. So do you like the Mike McCarthy hire? Yeah, I think it's good, you know. Um, obviously, he's been really successful in the league, and uh, uh, I guess he's taken a year off, I believe it is, Makes you know. Sense. So, um, I'm, 
you know, I'm, I'm hopeful. Um, seems like he's making some good hires. Mm-hmm. And um, so it'll be time to hit the reset on that and see what happens. So does that make you the Jerry Jones of UIL? <laughs> like you're the general manager of the state? Not in that sense. No, I. Are you the, oh, hopefully the, a little different? You're the Roger Goodell of, uh, of, of Texas music, and and I guess I suppose in some ways in music, I, I guess you could make that analogy. All right, well, you know that that sounds fine. Just for all the sports fans out there, they just want to know. Yeah. They want to know. Yeah, yeah. I suppose you could make that. All right, good. I did. Um, so prior to your UIL appointment, you held the position of director of fine arts for the Richardson Independent School District, where you administered. Administrated, boy, God, I'm yeah, all that's over the a, place. That's an unusual word. I, yeah, that's I'm not sure called. that is a I, word. Though. I blame my UIL <laughs> upbringing. Um, all band, choir, orchestra, visual art, and theater programs. Um, Richardson ISD consists of such fine music programs as like Highlands, Berkner, JJ Pierce, just to name a few. What does a director of fine arts do from day to day? What'd you do in Richardson? Oh gosh. Um, well, you know, it, it's not unlike what we do at the UIL. The year is cyclical, and um, you have in the fine arts director world, what you call hiring season, where you're looking for the best employees. Um, you know, that typically runs from like May through the beginning of the school year. Um, and then your, your job every day is to do everything you can to support the programs, Mm -hmm. you know, and give, give the programs what they need to be successful, which starts with the best teacher, right? Putting the best people in place and then supporting those, those people, um, whether it's resources, it's time, um, anything you can do to, um, set them up for success. And so that's a real general answer to your question. No, but, but essentially, that's what you're doing mm-hmm. on a 12-month basis. And, right. Um, sometimes you're putting out fires that come up here and there, and <laughs> sure. they, they, it occurs. But hopefully the fires don't distract from from your purpose of being there, which is to to facilitate success with those programs. Right. Because back when you were there, uh, Frank Troika was probably still up yeah, there. Yeah. Jeff, Jeff Bradford. Old yes. Dirty Bradford was still at Lake Highlands, who's yeah. now who now is your replacement. How's he doing over there? Yeah, right? he's doing great. Yeah, yeah everybody's ever. Yeah, no, every, everybody says it's great. You he know, was, and it's a big surprise. I know he was nicer when he was fat. <laughs> wow, <laughs> he's not listening to this one. When I used to write for Lake Highlands, humble brag, um, he introduced me to Babe's Chicken House. And that was amazing. And then Mr. I always say it wrong. Mr. Pibbs Pizza or Mr. Tibbs. Uh, I don't know. Some, I don't know about that. I know about babes up there. Yeah. Yeah. I never knew about this stuff. And I mean, he was, he was different. Uh, he, and he'll say it, you know, he's very forthcoming about his transformation. So did, so did you design the candy? Was it Candyland show? Yes. Was that your show? Okay. I loved that show. Well, thank you for that. Um, I remember that like 2009 ish. It was, uh, yeah, I forgot what I called it. Uh, but he called it something different, sweet and yeah, sour. There were candy canes. Yeah, I yeah. The candy I think Danny and... Martinez is the one. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Jeff's a great I, show. Our history. I love Jeff Bradford. He's one of my favorite people in the world. And you know, we came together to write drill through a, 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 a drill writer, and he was like, "I want to do this kind of show." And the drill writer's like, "No, we're not doing that." So then the next year, we're sitting at Midwest, and Jeff's like, "I, I kind of really didn't like last year's show. Um, the demographic of Lake Highlands is a certain way. I want to appeal to that." And he goes. I want to put gangster rap on the field. And I said, I will absolutely do that. And if anyone wants to know where the genesis of me wanting to put ridiculous music on a marching man field, it was that year with Jeff Bradford. It's his fault. It is his oh, fault. Okay. It was, right. and it was called original gangster and it was gangster type music. So like Harlem Nocturne, Godfather. So that type. was the name of the show. Original then. gangster because. And here I am calling it Candyland. No, 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 no. This is a different show. This oh, a different, different show. show. Okay. Yeah. And then I used gangster rap from the nineties. Ah. Um, cause at the time it was like early 2000. So it was still relevant. Yeah. And then that was just the thing we did. And so then we, 
when we got to the candy show, we mixed music from Willy Wonka, but then we also used like uh, Candy Shop by 50 Cent and just other candy type things. And so Jeff just, uh, it was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, I mean, he would, you know, he'd go to area and not make state, but it's okay. You know, he did a good job. He, Those were great shows, though. They really the were. The audience loved them. They, did, they don't like the shows now at Lake Highlands. <laughs> um, I don't know who's doing them there. I don't know what he's thinking. But, um, hey, Levi, call somebody about that, you know? So, um, Dr. Kent, I would like to know your thoughts on sparkling water, specifically Topo Chico. Oh, I love Topo Chico. Which Absolutely. Favorite? Which one? Uh, grapefruit. Grape? What? I love I've grapefruit. I've never met anyone who puts that one as their favorite. I, I love grapefruit. It's hard to find. For a reason. Well, I, I like the lime, too, but, like, okay. really, grapefruit is number one. What? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Is it? Your East Texas roots or something? I, 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 don't, I don't know what that would you have know, to do so, with it. <laughs> so a, a guy I work with told me, he's like, I know this sounds weird, but if you haven't tried it, you have to try it, mm-hmm. and you'll thank me later. And I thought, grapefruit? But I tried it, and he was right. I really like it a lot. Was yeah. it Gabe? No, it wasn't Gabe. Gabe. No. no. Does he drink Topo no. I think so. I'm sure he does. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Probably probably mineral. I mean, that's the one I drink. Or lime, you know, whatever. Yeah, the so. plain. Yeah. Plain? Yeah. yeah. Wow, okay. Is, it, is that you what You can it, call it plain. Mineral. That's okay. It's mineral. mineral. Yeah. You can call it basic topo if you want. Yeah. You know? we, have mer- we have mineral, I think, in the refrigerator at our house right I, now. I approve of that. I will allow that. So you taught at the Texas A&M Commerce and Lamar University. Yes, I did. Um, you were, were, what did you do there? I was director of bands. At both of those so, places? Yes, at both Holy places. Smokes. So. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I, I started my teaching career in the Louisville ISD. Correct. But um, then I, went, I came to graduate school here at the University of Texas mm-hmm. and um, worked on a master's degree and started my doctorate here and studied with Jerry Junkin mm-hmm. and had an opportunity to go to Texas A&M Commerce and be the director of bands. So I did that in 2001. Um, I was there from 2001 to 2005. Really? Okay. And then had an opportunity to go to Lamar University and do uh, – the same job there, essentially mm-hmm. director of bands, and I did that from 2005 to 2008. So wow, and then and then from there you went to and, and from there in 2008 went to Richardson. Wow, okay, okay. So yeah. the director. See now, I, I don't I don't know much about those programs, but so director of bands, you didn't do marching band. You used to like the concert band. You oversaw kind uh, of the stuff. That marching went on? band at AM Commerce. Oh, okay. So yeah, and so I worked with the marching band, the top concert band, mm-hmm. and everything that had the word band in it. So makes sense. Yeah, steel yeah. band, salsa band, yeah. <laughs> Not during those years, no. <laughs> Did you have a ska band? But uh, no, no, no ska band. Oh, wow. Well, oh, yeah. Well. Um, but yeah. at Lamar, there was not a marching band. So, Oh, do they have uh, one now? It, they do have one oh, now. Okay. okay. Um, but that was a period of time when the football team went away at that school. Oh. And so there was no football team, so there was no marching band. Well, that, that yeah. doesn't matter to Arlington, UTA, right? I, I think. I, yeah, I guess oh. not. Do, do they still have a marching band? Yeah, they do. Okay, the I fo- thought so. The football team's been undefeated since what? 84 or something. They're very proud of that fact. They've never lost in 20 years or something like that. Um, so Lamar, Texas A&M Commerce. Wow, director of band. You know, trombones are in ska bands. Yes. You could you yes. could join a ska band. Yes. What if you and Gabe and then you get like Dick Floyd and you all form like the UIL ska band? I think that'd be fun. I'm not sure anybody would come to see I this. think if you played at the President's Concert at TMEA. Wow. You opened up for, who's playing this this concert? It's a big deal. Oh, the Dallas. Dallas wins this Yeah, year. you could open yeah. up for that. I'm sure Jerry wow. Junkin would let you. Yeah, I'm not sure that anyone would ever see us again, though, if we did that. It's a one-time take shot. Them, take them away and please don't ever allow that. Like, <laughs> there's, there's a special jail cell for that. <laughs> I think that would be hilarious. It would be awesome. Uh, everyone's going to write in and go, yes, we would like you to open for the President's Concert. Or the, the after 
after party that takes place in the uh, Bar Rojo in the Hyatt. It'd be better than some of the groups that probably we hear in bars. So, um, Dr. Kent, what is the last piece of music you listened to? Literally the last piece. Oh, the last piece of music I listened to was actually yesterday uh, when I was preparing for a rehearsal with the Texas Youth Wind Symphony. Mm-hmm. I listened to John Mackey's High Wire. Never heard of him. <laughs> new guy? New, uh, new, young, up yeah, new. new guy. I think he's going to do some really great work. Doubt it. No, yeah, yeah, whatever. So, Oh, okay. So, yeah, and you didn't so. listen to any music like on the way here? You were I, I listened radio? to ESPNU on the way over here. Uh, yeah, that's my morning standard ESPNU. Yeah, yeah, the U. What are they yeah, talking college about athletics. right now? Well, they were talking about basketball a little bit this oh, morning. Oh, okay, sure. Um, but then they immediately went into the new head coaching hire at Baylor University, Matt, uh, nah, Dave no. Aranda. Oh yeah, Matt right. Rule. Yeah, uh, so Dave Aranda, who's the defensive coordinator at LSU, and that's so he's, right. He's going to Baylor, and he just hired a new offensive coordinator. So uh, they were debating whether he made a good hire. Or not. Right. We're, we're going to get to LSU in a little bit. I All promise. Right. We'll okay. let we'll let you toot your horn, your trombone. It's so you finally say you played your horn. We're gonna we're gonna do that. So um, as you mentioned, you have a master of music and doctor of musical arts from the University of Texas at Austin. Congratulations on your national championship in 2005, on our national championship. Yeah, um, absolutely. You, you, you're, you're golden. So uh, why did you come to Austin to go to UT? What, what was the reason? What was the draw? Why'd you come here? Well, very simply put, it was the opportunity to study with Jerry Junkin um, at that time mm-hmm. and, and to come to the University of Texas at Austin, a great institution of higher learning, and, and have a great teacher like Jerry. I mean, that's, that was an opportunity I couldn't pass up. Of course not. Did you live in a dorm? Oh, you're a grad student. I did. No, I was married at the time. So, oh, my God. Yeah. So did yeah. you have kids yet? No, no kids yet. Okay. And my wife, Lori, was a band director here. Oh, really? Where'd so you we, we lived here two years when I was in residency from 99 to 01. Oh, my gosh. Um, and she taught in the Round Rock School District. Okay. Um, she taught, she opened Stony Point High School with Brian Christian. Yeah, That's right. there's of, some trivia of Vista, for you. Of Vista Ridge Yeah, fame. so they opened Stony Point in the fall of 99. Wow. Brian was the head director, uh-huh. and she was the assistant director, and so she did that for one year, and then she moved to a middle school in oh. the district the second year, and then we moved. So, And I don't know how many years Brian was at Stony Point before he, I think he opened Vista. He did he? open Vista, okay. too. Yeah, he well, went, I don't know what year that was. I don't know either. I, I could look it up, but then I'd, yeah. I'd, 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 I would also like to say that you have the most eye contact of any guest on this, which is incredible. Incredible because I was raised to speak with great eye contact, but as I've gotten older, some people don't like it. They freak out about it, and so I ha- so I have to look look around every once in a while. Even though I'm like, no, I'm, I'm showing you the respect that I have. So, so thank you for looking me in the oh, eye. Oh yeah, it's absolutely. very intimidating. Oh no, yes, no, I mean it's, I, it, it's fun to have a conversation and you know and like look yes. at each other. No, yeah, no, imagine no. that. The, you know what's more scary is the guys, the thugs that are standing outside the house right now guarding it because apparently there's about a bunch of secrets going to be revealed and. This is like like a, a an impeachment inquiry or something going on, except not. It's not. I hope not nope. that. No, no, nope. nope. oh, that, <laughs> that's a different podcast. Guess, guess what, Doctor Kent? <laughs> We've got tapes. Um, so apparently, I did not know that you are a non-Texas native. So we're changing some of these questions, but oh, okay. it's basically the same questions. Yeah. I would like your. But thoughts. I got here as quickly as I could. That's what we'd like yeah, to hear. Yeah. But but you're, you've got it in your blood. As I do. Said. Yeah, yes. my dad's native. That's right. So I want your thoughts and opinions on the following topics. I would like you to rank the following: Chipotle. Freebirds, Fuzzies, Qdoba. You know, before we moved to Austin, I would say Freebirds was number one oh. because I I used to eat at Freebirds here when I was in grad school, mm-hmm, and there was mm-hmm. a Freebirds in Richardson. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Um, 
I guess I would say probably Chipotle now. No. Um, right. I, I go there more. There's one over here, you know, close to where we live. Sure, and sure. So sometimes I go there, but I would say Chipotle, then Free Birds, but that's close. I mean, yeah. it's just, they're they're a little different, but I like both of them. And, I, and who else, what were the other Fuzzies ones? or in Qdoba? Yeah, Fuzzies. I haven't been to Fuzzies actually here at all. There was Fuzzies in Richardson yeah, they're, they're, um, at that time. Mm-hmm. And so we used to go there. Um, it was close to our house. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, I've never been to Qdoba. I have found that it's like not a big Texas thing. I think it's more of a Midwest thing. I don't know. That's where uh-huh. I, I discovered Qdoba when I was in Michigan. So oh, okay. I assume that's, they're like, let's put Mexican food up north. They don't know anything. I'll have to try it. I've never yeah. Been. You know, on your travels around. Yeah. You know, it's the Fuzzies by Leander High School. Is there now? Yes. So whenever I, you go, to, I know they're, they're. I didn't know that. They're part of the UIL system, if I remember <laughs> yes. correctly. There's one by McCallum High School, too. You know, what okay. you should do is plan your clinics and visits based on restaurants. Isn't there a Fuzzies over on 1431 also? Or is there that by, was? Yeah. There's one by the Round Rock Outlet Mall, too. Uh, no, 1431 towards Leander. Maybe that's the one I'm speaking okay, about. The one by Leander ish. Uh, it's it's close to 183. Yes, old one, un, old, old 183. One, yes, yes. 1430. That is the one I'm the okay, one. Okay, I haven't been to that. Okay, one. yeah, yeah. Um, all you all you um, Cedar Park Leander people throw these numbered roads, and yeah. I'm like, sure, that sounds it fine. Tell, tell me about Ben White or Palmer Lane. Don't give me 734 or whatever. So, um, Torchy's Tacos or Taco Deli. Oh, Torchies. Oh, come on. Oh, I love Torchies. Oh, my God. I love, I, I love Torchies. This interview's Torchies on. is my number one queso, too, so I don't know if that's on your list. Uh, I, multiple people have said that's that's the reason. Uh, I, all right, all right. I mean, I'm not going to say no to you, sir, but, well, uh, but I don't Well, you can say I no. Like I, I, you don't like Torchies. No. Yeah. But, it, but as I have been taught, it's not like a real authentic taco place. It's like a fusion taco place. So if you're going expecting like just a tortilla and eggs and whatever, that's not it. They're going to put everything in there. So, so what's your favorite? Man, I'm boring. I like, I like one in a million. Yeah. Um, have you been there? Never been there. <gasps> no. Oh, okay, so you got to when you learning all kinds when of you are really hungry, uh, maybe you want to take your whole family. I don't know, and you want a bunch of starch. Go to Juan in a Million. It's on Cesar Chavez East Side, obviously, um, and it's the Don Juan, and it's this plate of eggs, bacon, cheese, um, potatoes. Like it's just this mound, and oh my god, like. It's incredible, and the, the regular food's good. It's awesome, and I think so. It, you eat there, and then you take the rest of the day off. Pretty much, to sleep. You have to. Yeah. yeah, the owner's always like giving you a, the, a heck of a handshake as you enter. Like it's like insane. One in a million's great. Nice. Um, you ever been to Joe's Bakery? I've not, but I've heard about Joe's. E- East Fifth. I have a friend that keeps telling me we have to go to Joe's. Yes. We have to go to Joe's. They have the battered the battered bacon. I don't know if it's beer battered bacon, but it's just it's the best bacon. Oh, it's amazing. So Joe's Bakery. Th- those are just two places that you should go to. Battered bacon. Yes, it sounds like something the state fair would have. You would think so. Yeah, you would. You would. Yeah, yeah. That, you deep know. fried dip. Deep fried. I, deep I, fried bacon. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure everyone's going. Yeah, you haven't had deep fried bacon. You call yourself a Texan? It's like I call myself somewhat healthy. Come on now, um, Taco Cabana. Uh, you know, I haven't been to one in a long time. That's fine. That's okay. Yeah. Tortillas are okay. Yeah. I like them. Back in the day when I lived in Louisville, we had one there. We used to go there all the time. <laughs> back in the day with Jeff, when Jeff used to eat food? No, no, in Louisville. Oh, Louisville. We're talking about the 90s. Oh, that's right. We haven't got back yeah, there far enough yet. Yeah. It's, on, it's on the script. All right. It, we'll get there. We'll get there. That's right. Uh, favorite fast food burger, if you have one? Oh, gosh. Um, I would say, for me, hands down, P. Terry's. Thank you. P. Terry's is great. P. Terry's is my go-to. Yeah, uh, I love the milkshake there too. I'm not a milkshake fan, but I don't. I don't. I typically don't want a milkshake either. But when I do want uh-huh. one, I'm going there and I'm getting the P. Terry's milkshake. Wow. Yeah. You ever been to Dan's Hamburgers? Yes. I yes. Love Dan's, love Dan's, Dan's on the way out of the airport. It's so bad for you. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Dirty Martins is another favorite. What? Yeah. Oh my gosh, I've never heard of that one. Oh, it's by Campus. It's great. Oh my god. Yeah, Did they you... call it Dirties, but it's, that makes sense. Dirty Martins. It, yeah, it's been there I think since the fifties. And Did you ever... it's like Dan's. Did you like Huts? You know, uh, yes, and I heard it closed. Yeah, I know I did like Huts. Yeah, I'm sure they got like millions of dollars for that plot of land, and they'll put up another fine drinking establishment or something like Rainy Street, right? Yeah, yeah. You, you need to go to Dirty Martin's. Though. All right, I'm, put I'll, that on may, your list. Maybe I'll go after this. Um, favorite fast food chicken? Oh, if you eat fast food chicken, uh, you know I don't eat that very often, but I would say probably Raising Cane's. Mm. Yeah, you didn't. You didn't even. I didn't mean to say Popeyes. You're from Louisiana. I didn't. No, not Popeyes. Oh my God! No, They've just disowned you. Raising Cane started in Louisiana too. Did it? Yeah, oh, okay. I'll allow. Started it. by an LSU graduate. Oh, did you know him or her? I didn't. No, because if no. you did, you'd be like rolling in that chicken money, huh? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Do you have a favorite barbecue? Doesn't have to be Austin, but just Texasy. Uh yeah. I have to say. Um, I tried a barbecue place that I hadn't been to before on Friday. Yes, yes. I, I want to talk about this. Yeah, I put it on Facebook. And so uh, Mike Howard and I were um, conducting all region bands together in December. Sure. And so we were just talking and, and talking about food, of course. Yeah, right, like now. right now. What else would you talk about? And we were talking about barbecue. And he said, hey, there's this great place. You need to try it. And so he told me about Interstellar Barbecue. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. on 620, close to 183. Yes. And, uh-huh. and he said, you need to go there before you won't be able to get in. There'll be a wait, you know, because uh-huh. I guess it's only been there about a year. It was a sandwich place before. Oh, it used to be the Noble, the pig, the noble pig. Noble Pig. So yeah. they're in that spot? They're in that spot, yeah. Oh. So finally, like Friday afternoon was perfect. Um I went to my daughter's gymnastics meet, mm-hmm. and I thought, you know what? I'm going because they, apparently they open at eleven o'clock and they close when they run out of food. Okay, kind of like is. Franklin's. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I went and picked up brisket and some um, pork ribs on Friday, and they were what time was that? Fantastic. I got there about four thirty. Oh, so they still had food at four? Yeah, yeah. Right. They, they had food well, at four thirty on a Friday. After this interview, I'm going. To, I'm, at, I'm going to barbecue and then Dirty Martin's. Apparently, it was great. I mean, it's it's a little spicy. Um, yeah, come on. The the beans are free, which oh. so you go help yourself to the beans. It's like the bean bar, you know. I guess you <laughs> okay. All right, a bean bar. <laughs> but they were they were great. Um, they uh, they're very spicy though. But I like that. Awesome. I like a lot of essence. Well, you would. You're from Louisiana. Oh, yeah, you get oh, it. Yeah. All of the above. All of the above. That's all, interstellar barbecue. Yeah, because yes. then Jeremy went. Like, That's the my next new day favorite. Or something. Oh, yeah, wow. yeah. There we go. There we go. Yeah, so thanks, Mike Howard. Mike was a guest. Did you listen to his podcast? I, I have not yet, it's but long. I saw you did one. Yeah. It's a good one. He's yeah, very good. Sure. It was the best one until today. Oh, so Mike's great. Yeah, he's a good guy. Um, Pluckers Wings, Wingstop, Buffalo Wild Wings. Uh, probably Pluckers. Yeah, 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 Pluckers, yeah. Yeah, that's good. Well, they're from here, so yes. you're contractually obligated yeah. to like them. Now, as you've mentioned, you started your career as a band director in Louisville ISD. Where did you teach? What's that whole jam like? Uh, I was a fighting farmer. So um, at 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 Louisville High School, the Louisville High School, the old school. So uh, (laughs) when I graduated from LSU, I had a great opportunity to go there and be the assistant director. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I did that for a while, and then uh, at a very young age, um, I actually had the opportunity to be the headband director. Oh wow! And um, at the time, the program was very small, and so we had a lot of rebuilding to do, Mm -hmm. and I had a great colleague that I was able to hire um, at that time. His name is Mike Brown. He, okay. he actually opened Flower Mound High School. Oh, all right. And uh, Mike works in Louisville still, and okay. he, he works in the uh, tech side of things now. Oh, but yeah. He was a great teacher, and so we started uh, in 1993, 
together in that program and uh, spent six years there together. And they were six incredible years, great students, very rewarding opportunities we had. We um, we had a Midwest Clinic performance uh, late in the late 90s. And and just um, it was very rewarding to rebuild that program and so many great kids and mm-hmm. great community support, great administrative support. Um, and then in the fall of 99 is the year that Flower Mound High School and Hebron High School opened. <laughs> the so same year? They opened the same year. Holy smokes. And and that was the year I had this opportunity to come to UT Austin for yeah. grad school, and it was it just seemed right at the time. So I jumped wow. at the opportunity, and Mike left and opened uh, Flower Mound High School, and right. Hebron opened that fall. And yeah. Andy Seeley did not open Hebron. It was Mark Whitlock. And, yeah, it was Mark from Whitlock. From Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. So Andy... Came, I don't know what year Andy got there, but yeah, those two schools opened the same year. Wow, that's that I've never heard of something like that happening before. It was, yeah. it was just blowing up. That yeah, much. the district was just growing really fast in those years. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we um, at Louisville High School in those years. So Marcus High School at that time had been around uh, quite a number of years, sure. and people think Marcus was like a new high school, but yeah. Marcus opened in the early 80s. Wow. This is the second school after the uh, school? Yes, okay. and then the colony was the third school. That's right. That's right. Um, but uh, yeah, so we had a lot of students that eventually were zoned to go to Flower Mound. Mm. They went to Louisville High School back in those years. Gotcha. And so it was a great mix of students from all different backgrounds, mm-hmm. uh, very diverse student body, and uh, really enjoyed those. Year. Wow. And so it was just high school for you and then masters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just the way the the way it played out, the opportunities that I had. If I had it to do over again, um, I would teach middle school band. I hate that I never did mm-hmm. that full time. Now during those years I did spend time teaching beginner trombone classes. Makes sense. At yes. a few of our middle schools, mm-hmm. but never did middle school full time and I wish I would have done that. So everyone out there teach middle school? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Very good. Very good. Now you, you can speak ill about this. What's your most overrated thing about the Austin area? Overrated. Yeah. Like everyone goes oh. like, Oh, this is the best. And you go like, really? Well, for me, it's, it's, you know, the traffic is a challenge. So, <laughs> uh, you know, and it's, and, and, and anybody who lives here, you well know, yep. uh, that's, that's a huge part of living in Austin is just figuring out <laughs> how to navigate when to go where and when not to go where. You're right. Um, so I think that's the thing people don't talk about outside of Austin. Yeah, they they think, oh, Austin's so cool, and we're just like, please stay away. Yeah, we, the we in- don't have room for y'all. Right, the infrastructure has not kept up with this. And nope. I don't know if this is true or not, but I heard one time that the city council in the 1970s, their philosophy was, well, you know what? If we don't build more roads, more people <laughs> won't move here. I don't know if that's true, but uh, that rumor is is out there. And obviously, if that's true, that didn't work. No, it, it clearly didn't work. I always I always joke that it's the hippies, right? Because long time ago, because I'm from Austin, I'm a native. I don't know. If you Are you this. really? I'm, I'm a rarity here. Where'd I'm, you go to high school? A uh, David Crockett High School. Wow. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Did Ga- not know that. Gary Wiley was my director for the first two years. Uh, then he went to Round Rock, and Bill Peace was the second. Fantastic. Yeah, Eddie Zamora was my middle school band director. Wow. Yeah, yeah you are native, like all the way back. Yeah, yeah. William. I'm a Williams Wildcat. Um, South. I'm a South guy. I'm from awesome. the South, yeah. where all the hippies are were. But you know, there, there's a whole salamander yeah. thing, right? So they were protecting the salamander. So we always joke like they're not building roads because there's too many animals and they want to protect right. all. Which is great. That's why it's such a beautiful city. But we have one and a half highways. It's just it makes no sense. Uh, what's the most underrated thing about Austin or the Austin area? Uh, underrated. Um, 
I don't know how, how great the people are here and you know, how diverse Austin is. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I love, I know sometimes there's arguments over uh, politics and in, in, in our city because we have such a diverse population, Sure, but I think it's healthy. You know, I think, um, yeah. um, we we're in this little blue bubble in, uh, As the state say. of Texas, uh-huh. you know, um, and with, with it being a capital city, I, 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 I love that dynamic in our city. Yeah. So the capital the probably, university. Yeah, it's probably underrated. Yeah, I, it is it is quite. It, we we could use a little more, but you know, it's good. It's good. Yeah. So, as you said, you received your bachelor of music education degree from the Louisiana State University. Let me congratulate you on your national championship this year, sir. Well, thank you. That uh that was quite a season they had. I I'll tell you, um just what a unique set of circumstances for that team that came together. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's a a movie in the making. I mean, it kind of is. I mean, it, it is. I mean, everything was perfect about that whole scenario. Mm-hmm. You've got a, you've got an underrated coach. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you you know that, and you've got this quarterback that transferred in. It was was good. Mm-hmm. Wasn't what he became obviously right. this yeah. year. You have all these these other circumstances that just came together. The coaching staff. You had a um, an offensive um, coordinator that came from the Saints mm-hmm. um, that helped facilitate this whole offense that they ran this year and um, it was quite the ride so yeah it was fun to watch as an alum so uh, when they came to, to UT because they played the second game were you in the UIL box wearing purple and gold or what, what was going on I was in the upper deck actually on the west side so oh. that was oh, yeah really? yeah yeah there's no UIL box I, <laughs> I was in the upper deck on the west side sweating it out so uh, yeah that was that was an exciting game and, and Gabe Musella and I yeah went, I ran, we ran into yeah, Gabe because it was we could not get through I mean I've been to when Notre Dame was here in USC and but the LSU it was it was an entirely different environment and it was it was awesome it was great yeah it was but crazy. I remember we were walking and there's Gabe going one way and he's drenched. I mean, we're all drenched in sweat, oh you know, just, gosh, yeah, yeah. That so was hot. Yeah. it was, so did, did he didn't go to UT or LSU, right? No, he's, he's, Gabe, a, he's, he's a Texas, Texas tech, tech guy. Yeah. Right. But you don't miss that game. But he loves college sports yeah, too. So we're like, let's go. So we had the opportunity to go. So we sat in the, the upper deck West side, and uh-huh. watched that game. And it was a great it game, really was. you know, and it could have gone either way. And yeah. so we didn't know what we were seeing that night. No. And I thought, okay, I think, I think this team may be pretty good this year, you know, but I thought both teams played really well that night. Yeah, they did. One team continued to play well. Um, some, I won't name names, but, uh, so, so, um, I've said that this year is very similar to the 2005 or 2004 UT team where you had Vince Young, you had Joe Burrow and just two, like just, they're just unrealistic players that have transcended the sport and made their teams like exceptionally well. Um, And then you have this idea where in 2004, UT went to Ohio state and they won on their home turf. And then they went undefeated and won the national title game. Then the yeah. next year, yeah. Ohio State came to UT. Vince had already left. Colt McCoy wasn't Colt McCoy yet. Ohio State beat UT in Austin, and Ohio State did go to the championship game. However, they did lose. So I'm thinking that Texas is going to go to Baton Rouge. Yeah, they're going to this fall. Yeah. We're going to beat y'all because you have nothing but four stringers and all your coaches everybody have left. left. Yeah, everybody um, And then UT is going to go to the college football playoff. They're not going to win, but they're going to make it. So so thank you for, for what you have done to UT sports because I think that's what's going to happen. Well, it is cyclical, as we know. It is, it, it, yeah. unless you're Alabama or yeah. Clemson. You know. Yeah, and unfortunately, in, in my situation, having gone to both schools, I mean, I just wanted to see a great game that night and, and look yeah. forward to another one this fall. Yeah, it, it'll 
it'll be great. Now, will you be in the UIL box at LSU? Stadium, no, no I, I, I probably won't be there. You're not going to go? Game. No, I, I'll probably be in my living room. Yeah, but I don't know. Matters. You never know. I might end up going. I actually had the opportunity to go to the national championship game a few weeks. That's ago. right. You, you, yeah. yes, because we could, were now. You were in the game. Yeah, yeah, I was there in the UIL box. At no, the no Dome. UIL box there. No, no. <laughs> we keep coming back to the UIL box. I need to find this UIL box. <laughs> There's a UIL box everywhere, isn't there? I, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. did you figuratively call, when you want to get into a restaurant? You're like, don't you know who I am? <laughs> Music director of UIL. And they'll go, oh, I got a two on stage when I was 16 years yeah, old. you're going back there in the back room. <laughs> Next to the bathroom. Yes, there's no air conditioning back so there. So did you have good seats in the Superdome? Uh, we actually sat with the band. So Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah so we were you had the to, best Gabe, seats. Gabe and I did a road trip and left on Sunday evening and spent the night in Houston. Yeah. Sunday night, drove all the way to New Orleans Monday um, in time to get to the hotel where the band was, ride the buses with the LSU band. Wow. Uh, to the Superdome, go yeah. through all the security. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, and, and we were in the seats at like 4.30. Oh, wow. So we were in the Superdome for like eight hours. It was crazy. Um, but yeah, we were down in one end zone where the band mm-hmm. was sitting, and, and uh, it was crazy. Um, it was a lot of fun, and I would say the crowd was about two-thirds LSU. It was a home game. Yeah, it was about yeah. two-thirds LSU, and, and the first quarter was – we didn't know if we were going to have a chance to win this game because Clemson was up 17 to seven. Right. Right. Yeah. But then um, the LSU offense came alive and it was 17, seven. And then we answered that with touchdown, <laughs> touchdown, touchdown. But it was like 42 something. I forget what the score was. Uh, 42, 28. 42, final score. I think final score. Or no, sorry. 42, 25, I believe. Uh, yeah. um, for those um, listening, Dr. Kent rolled up his sleeve to find a tattoo of the LSU Clemson score. It's fresh. He still got the uh, the napkin on it. On his other arm, I'm assuming, is the UT National Championship score. Yes, Vince Young. <laughs> Actually, those are my two favorite college football oh games ever. Did you go to the Vince Young game? No, I was not. The UI, you you weren't working for UI? I, I, I wasn't. You didn't get to no, sit in the box. No, Richard, but uh, that, that, that game at oh the Rose Bowl, unbelievable. Yeah. You know, and, and we all, if you watch that game, I think we all just felt like, you know, they're going to. Go, uh, drive the field and mm-hmm. Vince is going to score and we're going to win. Yeah, yeah exactly. It happened. I mean, I think great teams, you just have that, that sense yeah. of that it's going to happen. It's, it's inevitable. Yes. Yeah. There you go. They're just like Thanos, right? You, you watch <laughs> movies, Dr. Kent? It, some, yeah. Did you watch an end game? The Avengers end game? I've not seen. What? No. So you don't I'm get not, that reference? No, oh, no, great. I'm sorry. No. Did you watch Star Wars? Uh, yes. Did my, you watch? my daughter is a huge Star Wars. What'd you think about this last episode nine? Uh, I haven't seen it yet. So what about I, the Last Jedi? Have you seen the Last Jedi? Yeah. Did you like that? Yes, one? I did like. Oh, that good. One. Then you're gonna hate it. Number number nine. No. Well, well, my daughter, she liked it, uh, but she, I said, don't tell me anything about it. That's that's good. It. Yeah, you don't want to know. I, but I just told you you're gonna hate it. So, um, but a lot of people say like back when st- the first movie started, and I was I was very young and uh, saw the first Star Wars in seven, 1977. My oh dad my took gosh. me to see the first one, uh-huh. and I loved that one. And then I loved Return of the Jedi. Uh, but apparently people like now, what was the second one? Well, the Empire Strikes the Empire Back Strikes is held Back. up as the best one. Yeah, but I will tell you, in 1980, when the Empire Strikes Back came out, uh-huh. people didn't feel that way. Really? Like, no, this isn't as good. It's this too dark? Yeah. I don't know. Weird. It's, but I like it now, too, oh, a lot the, more than the, I did when I was a kid. Yeah, it's the best one. I wasn't alive when the first one came out. So 
I'm just, I'm just letting that know. It's okay. The gloves are off now, Doctor Ted. That's all right. <laughs> For the folks listening to us at home, in their cars, in their bathtubs, in the subway, walking their dogs, at the gym, typing up invoices, waiting for results at a marching band contest, sitting in the waiting room of an urgent care clinic, standing in the registra- registration line at a major music conference, or guarding a bathroom during standardized testing, oh. please describe in excruciating detail what shoes you are wearing. Ah, uh, what shoes I'm wearing. Well, I have some brown Colhan shoes. Yes, they are. With a blue, light blue sole on That's them. right. They, they are. It's a midsole so, outsole. Because they're, the, they're that kind of the dress shoe up top and then the comfort sole on the bottom. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. do you feel so comfortable very, wearing they're them? They're very comfortable. Yeah, I got them, I think, last fall. Oh. So they're nice and broken in. They are. What would you wear for your uh, 24-hour days at state marching contest? I think I wore these one day. Uh-huh. I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> <You're> <laughs> yeah, that was a blur. Um, but I, I tend to, I like Colhans a lot. Yeah, they're good shoes. So I they're think quality. I have like three pair of Colhans. Oh, okay. Ro- rotate, probably rotated those. The, the, those three days? Three days, Because yeah. this isn't on the script, so we're going to go off script here. So what time are you getting there? Because I know that we have this meeting on Sunday night where you meet the judges, the the broadcast team, and you know you yeah. talk about the, the pageantry that is about to unfold. But what time are you there at the Dome on what day? We get there. Our standard protocol for each day is to get there two hours before the first, um, before the first band warms up. Hmm. <laughs> okay. So it's it's usually somewhere in the neighborhood of 5 a.m. or 5.30. And what time are you going to sleep? Uh, Do you go to sleep? <laughs> midnight-ish, depending on the length of the day. Sure, sure. So, so yeah, it's they're, they're long days, but they're fun. You know, we enjoy that. Right. I lo- so, love seeing the performance. Do you get the dome on Sunday? Do you get to prep on Sunday um, or not? Just set up, yeah. Oh, okay. So uh, we go in, we get there about 3 o'clock, and oh. we set up the press box and right. uh, so we're basically in there about two hours on sunday oh. afternoon just to get everything ready mm-hmm. to roll uh first thing monday morning gotcha gotcha and then wednesday night do y'all just have to tear everything down or wednesday what? night we're we have to be out oh so yes we have to be out by midnight oh geez or, or, so, the, or the yeah clock runs yeah get another, exactly the clock is the, running they're like oh well there's overtime yeah so they they typically have another event sometimes the next day so oh, we're geez. yeah we have to be out by midnight but that actually we're able to tear down and get out pretty quickly because because the way the schedule works it, it's not the smallest classes on wednesday but the second smallest class so if it's one three a five a um three a is usually wednesday right yes um yes. so if it was the five a that would be there's more people more bands to yeah. get off and be so, a longer day yeah it makes sure. sense it makes sense yeah no that's awesome that's awesome um why is band so good in texas is it uil is it vertical alignment is it as texasbands.com says we're just better you know that's a that's a really complicated answer, so I'll do my best. But I, I think it's a combination of, of all these factors that involve, first of all, community support, um, school district support. Uh, when I say community support and school district support, um, hiring teachers. I mean, many states, there's one band director. Mm-hmm. At a middle school, there's one band director at the high school. So we're blessed in our state that we have support to have multiple band directors to give us a better ratio to teach our kids. Mm-hmm. So staffing, number one, support in the community to have that staffing, support in the school districts to have um, scheduling um, that that best facilitates great teaching. Mm-hmm. So uh, many schools have homogeneous grouping for their beginners. Yeah, um, that allows them to really isolate those students and teach them specifically on their instruments. 
Um, we have uh, also ability-based groups in many of our schools. So there's a top band, there's a second band, there's mm-hmm. a third band. Um, so again, you're able to, it's like differentiated learning, right? It's one of the buzz phrases we talk about in education. Now, we've been doing that for a long time. Sure, sure. Um, in this business. And uh, so there's all of that, but none of that would happen without the school district support, the community support. So staffing, scheduling, uh, we have incredible private lesson teachers in our state, you know, and that's done nothing but got better over mm-hmm, the years. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I wish we had more of that in the rural areas of the state, but we're starting to see a little bit more of it. But, uh, you know, in the population dense areas, we've got great private teachers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um uh, I've seen that continue to grow, and any time a student can study one-on-one with somebody, even if it's once every two weeks, right? Yeah, they're just going to get a great foundation on their instrument. Um, so that's a reason. Um, you know, the infrastructure that the Texas Music Educators Association provides, mm-hmm. um, the Texas Band Directors, uh, uh, Bandmasters Association mm-hmm. provides. Yeah. Um, so it's all of us together, hopefully working symbiotically to provide, um, per se, a, a culture or an environment probably is the best way of describing it, mm-hmm. where um, you can plant a garden and that garden can grow. Mm-hmm. And fortunately in our state, you know, we, um, we planted a, that garden many years ago. Right, um, yeah. And, and it it's just keeps getting stronger. And uh, so I, I think it's a result of all of those factors together. Yeah, it's it's not a simple answer that someone can just oh replicate over it's in because a because of this. <laughs> I, 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 no, I that was a very so. presidential like. Yeah, yeah and I, I don't think it's because of whatever this is. It's right. all all of this. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's a very long. And, and now we just feed it. We we feed off of each other, you know. So we have we have great designers mm-hmm. now living in Texas. Um, we have great color guard teachers. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything. It just keeps getting stronger and stronger. So that that's exciting. It is. It is. All right, now what everybody's probably waiting for on these conversations. We're gonna get we're gonna get down in dirty Martin here as right. the dirty. So as discussed earlier in Texas, an organization called the University Interscholastic League is responsible for overseeing competitions among public schools. This includes music, drama, languages, athletics, etc. UIL also creates and maintains extensive rules and regulations for all of its activities. Every year, the music area of UIL publishes a list of compositions authorized for use in UIL sanctioned events. This list is referred to as the Prescribed Music List, or the PML. It includes works from the wind, string, percussion, and vocal genres and classifies them according to difficulty level and media, ensemble or solo. The music for band is divided into five grades, grade one being the most simple for young bands or small schools, and grade five being the most challenging for large high school bands. The PML consists of over 13,000 compositions submitted by publishers around the world and is used by more than 30 states and seven countries. That might be even bigger by now. But public school bands that participate in the annual statewide UIL concert and sight reading contest held each spring must select two works from the PML as well as a third selection not required to come from the PML most frequently in March. To meet the specific musical priorities of an individual ensemble, the director may petition to perform one selection in addition to the march not included on the PML concert band lists. Uh, Joe Grisbowski, former band director at Elderbell High School in Hearst, Texas, likes to help contemporary composers by exposing his students and audience members to their work. Out of his 13 years of teaching music in Texas, he requested to use an unlisted piece 12 times, and every time the UIL agreed. While not having a piece of music on the list does not mean the piece will not be successful, it clearly helps to have one or more pieces by a composer on the list in terms of advertising and financial success. 
In 2009, I did a research paper on the impact of conductors, composers, and state music lists in improving wind literature. This is for my master's in composing. Ah, okay. When Great. I contacted then director of music, Richard Floyd, he said there was no set of written guidelines that stated exactly what a piece needed to consist of in order to be added to the PML. So let's dig in. First question for you, sir. How is one selected to be on the PML committee? So the PML committees, we have uh, three PML standing committees, mm -hmm. one in the band division, one in the orchestra division, and one in the vocal division. And each committee consists of seven members. So with anything with UIL, there, we have a process for everything. Sure. And so our first charge is to follow whatever process that the rule book has in place. Mm -hmm. And in this case, the Constitution and Contest Rules, which is the governing document of the UIL, states that the UIL shall appoint oh. members of these three committees. Okay. So that's all it says. So I will tell you, with that, what criteria are we considering when we're appointing? Mm -hmm. And we, we have something on our website we added fairly recently okay. that discusses what I'm about to mention. Word. But um, with these seven members, we want to have... Um, geographic representation. So we're looking to have West Texas, South Texas, North Texas, the various parts of the state, Rio Grande Valley represented mm -hmm. on the committee. Um, and again, this is within seven members. So we also want to have middle school and high school representation. We also want to have small school and large school representation. Mm -hmm. So typically in Texas, when we say small school, for most people, we're talking about 4A and down. Oh, <laughs> so yeah, but you know, that could, yeah, that could obviously be two A and down depending on your, your yeah, perspective, exactly. but, but most people consider, we use that phrase, small school, we're talking about four A and down. So we're trying to have all these groups represented. Mm -hmm. We also want to have ethnic diversity, racial diversity on our panels, because mm -hmm. we believe that's important. Sure. Um, and I'll talk about another, uh, initiative that, that we've sure. started yeah. coming up. And mm -hmm. I think maybe it's, yeah, it's one of the questions. I, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, so, yes, we, we, to be consistent with that initiative, we want to have um, diversity on the panel in mm -hmm. that regard as well. So we're looking for people that, that fit all of those pieces to the puzzle. Mm -hmm. um, they serve a three-year term, okay. so it's on a rotation. So every year, two people rotate off the committee. Mm -hmm. uh, one of those two stays on a fourth year to be the chair of the committee. Oh, okay. So this year on the band committee, that was David Puckett. Mm -hmm. So David Puckett was this year's chair, so he's the only one that served a four a fourth year. Gotcha. So we had two people rotate off this year that are finished this year. One of them will be the chair next year. We'll fill those two two openings with two people that I think the two people rotating off this year are both middle school directors. Okay. So we're going to be looking for obviously two, probably two middle school directors um, and also accomplish the diversity that I mentioned mm -hmm. uh, both ethnically and geographically. Sure, sure. Um, so also we're considering um, their track record as a teacher. Do, is their reputation in the field one that they're great teachers? Mm -hmm. um, uh, have they been in the, the field long enough to establish that track record? Mm -hmm. Do they have the time? Are they willing to serve <laughs> on this committee? Because yeah. uh, I'm sure you know, we'll talk about that coming up, but it's, it's a huge time commitment. I bet. Um, for about three to four months Oof, yeah. to evaluate the, the literature that's submitted. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's the process. And so do you just like, it's like the Grammys, you, you call someone and go, you've been, we're, we'd like to ask you to be on this committee? So we, uh, we solicit input from the committee. 
oh, okay. um, possible replacements. Mm-hmm. So we get a list from them. Uh, we solicit input from others, like from the TMEA board. Sometimes the band division uh, vice president will ask them, the, yeah. the division VPs from TMEA. Okay. Um, again, we're just trying to cast as wide a net as we can. And then we do send them um, an invitation oh. to, to serve on the committee. Mm-hmm. Um, you're highly recommended by your peers, your reputation. Uh, we hope you'll consider serving on the committee. And we usually send out those invitations to those replacement members in the spring. Mm-hmm. Uh, because this year's committees finished their work um, last weekend, actually. Oh, wow. So the final meeting of the PML committee with one exception, is on the MLK holiday every year. Wow. So they, years ago, the committees voted to meet on that day because they don't have to miss school. Right, right. So they come in on Sunday. Some of them meet on Sunday evening on their own to finalize some decisions. Mm -hmm. And then we meet in the UIL office last Monday. Mm -hmm. Um, Each committee um, divides, uh, goes to a different room Mm -hmm. and makes their final decisions. Then they give us the pieces that they want to add. This is only large ensemble now. Right, yeah. We're not talking about small ensembles. These are large ensemble committees, so that's a whole different process small (laughs) ensembles. So I'll mention that coming up too if you want. But um, and then they give us uh, pieces they want to add, what grade level they want them on, um, any pieces that they want to change to a different grade level, mm. and any pieces that they may want removed from the PML. So they give us that. Now, that does not take effect, though, until August. Correct. End of August. So the next school year. Right. Is that why y'all wait till TBA to release it? Because you don't want anyone to get confused and yeah, think they can do it. <laughs> it's exactly. Yeah, you're right. Confusion. Right. So the, the, the PML, the official PML is released every year on September one. Gotcha. For that year. Gotcha. And so the substitution process that you mentioned for the band division. Mm-hmm. So in the in the choir, all three divisions have a process to play what we call a choice piece. Right, right. And so in the vocal division and the orchestra division, it is it is truly a choice piece of anything they want to play. Right. In the band division, it's a march, as you mentioned. Sure, yeah. Now, historically... Um, that has been a march because historically the most of the band directors in the state feel like that that's an important part of teaching bands. Mm-hmm. Every student should be um, taught how to play a march correctly. Right. It's an important part of our heritage. Mm-hmm. And so this requirement it essentially ensures that that happens. Right. Um, and, and, you know, occasionally we have people that, that, that don't agree with that. And we, we understand mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. like any other rule it can certainly be discussed at some point. There's a process to address that as well. But right now in the band division, the choice piece is a march. Right. However, because the choice piece is a march, we have this substitution process. Right. So as yeah. you mentioned, you can uh, petition to do a piece that's not on the PML. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned Joe's, Joe Grzybowski, and mm-hmm. I have great memories of teaching in the same region with Joe right. in the 90s yeah. mm-hmm. and used to love his work at L.D. Bell in those mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. And you're right, he did. He really programmed outside the box. Right. And uh, he was a real inspiration for me during those years to uh, – just to see his program, especially he would find some obscure march that no one had ever heard of. <laughs> sure. And uh, that was very cool. But uh, yeah, you can submit a piece um, and it's done all, all electronically on the website, on a portal. And then mm-hmm. the committee reviews that and says yay or nay. You submit a justification on why you want to program the piece. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they give a, a decision, yay or nay, on that. There's three times a year that you, three deadlines. Mm-hmm. So the last deadline was January 10th. And that's so you could get a decision um, from the MLK meeting date. Right. And usually, yeah, 
by Team EA. And then there's one more deadline coming up February 1. Oh, if geez. You, if you want to submit a piece by February 1, you can do that, which is what, Saturday this week? Yeah, it's very close. And then you get a decision at the convention. Oh, okay. Yeah. And the yellow one TBA, basically? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we added... We added this January 10th day to try to give people an earlier decision because yeah. waiting till the convention, depending yeah. on when you have UIL concert and sight reading, is, is kind of late. Because some people are like before spring break. It's crazy how... Right, right, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so the earliest concert and sight reading events in the state are the last week in February. It's so it's wild. like two weeks after the it's TMEA crazy. convention. That's wild, yeah. And I mean, goes all the way to the end of April. So it's like a two-month period. Right, right, right. Okay, so I want to talk about the process about listening sure. to submissions. Um, so you said there's seven members of the committee. So we're, we're speaking about like the band, the band yes. PML thing. Okay. Does everyone listen to every piece? Each committee can make the decision on how they want to divide up the listening. So some committees, depending on the volume that's submitted, <laughs> and I will tell you this year in the band division, I believe, so this meeting we had last Monday, each mm -hmm. committee chair gives a report mm -hmm. kind of on uh, how many pieces were submitted, uh, the lay of the land, anything they want to share. Sure. Um, and so the, I believe David Puckett, this year's chair, said there were over 700 hmm. pieces submitted into more, the band portal. Seven, I think, I believe 700 and something. If you had said 7,000, I would have so believed. Not 7,000. Seven, <laughs> it, it was not a number with 1,000. I believe it was 700, which that number is is pretty normal. Okay. Um, and it's more than the other two divisions. The orchestra oh, division so. typically has like 250-ish. No, how many transcriptions of Beethoven do you need? Come on. Um, but I believe it was just over 700. And so what the band committee has been doing um, for a while now mm -hmm. is they've been dividing up three members of the committee listening to the grade four and down and three members of the committee listening to the, uh, I believe, or maybe the grade three and down. Should, yeah, gotcha. grade three and down. Uh -huh. And the other three members listening to the grade four and five and voting. And if there's a unanimous yes, or uh, then it goes to the other three mm -hmm. committee members. Oh. If it's a unanimous no, my understanding is they have not. So if all three yeah. said no, right. they don't send it to the other three members. Right. But if all three said yes, then they send it to the other three members looking for more consensus. There. Oh, I see. And if it's like a one to two, or is, is, is it and all the, or? Yeah. And the chair ultimately can cast a deciding vote if it's oh. a three, three or something like that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, right, that, that but each sense. we do allow each committee to um, to decide how they want to divide that up because mm -hmm. um, the process and uh, I may be getting ahead of you. No, you're I fine. Apologize. So the process uh, essentially works like this as far as submissions. So the portal is open mm -hmm. on the website from September one to December one. Right. And so anybody can upload pieces that they want the committee to consider. Sure. So one of the myths out there is that, well, only publishers can do this and only composers. Well, music teachers can do it too. Right. So you can submit. There has to be a recording. There needs to be a score. So the committee can make an evaluation of the piece. Yeah. Um, and so that's open September 1 to December 1. Closes on December 1, then that gives the committee December and first half of January to finalize their listening. Right. So most of those committee members will tell you they're intensely listening to all of this literature, especially over the break in right. December and coming back into January. Um, so that we've had that timeline for, gosh, I want to say about a decade. Sure, so, yeah. Uh, Once you went online. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. So back in the old days, it was every four years. Can you imagine? Yeah, and you were hand printing everything. <clears throat> yeah, and I was, I'm really dating myself here again, but I, I was on the committee from 98 to 02. Oh. And so what happened used to happen back in those days is you would get scores and recordings at your house. Yes. I had a bedroom full of scores <laughs> and recordings, and we listened on our own, and then we came together in Austin for a week. Oh. And we sat in a conference room, and anything that any committee member wanted on the PML, we all listened. I mean, it was... It was like wow. five days of locked in a room. That sounds awful. So now, <laughs> yeah. So now um, they can do their work independently, yeah. and come together and make just the final decisions. That's 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 very interesting. So, why are there no listed guidelines as to what defines what a grade one, two, especially the three, which is I think the largest portion? You know, there's people who goes, oh, it's an easy three, or it's a hard three. You know, it's almost that's it's not on here, but it's almost like why don't we have a six? But why are there no listed guidelines? Well, there actually used to be a, a grade six list, but that's we can talk about that coming up Let, if you want. But that we will. There used to be. Uh, I believe in the 80s. That was before my time. Mm-hmm. But um, so that's a great question you ask, and it's one that continues to come up. And um, we periodically talk to the committees, do you want to develop something like this? Mm-hmm. And historically, all the committees that we've discussed this with, mm-hmm. including back to the 90s, I remember when, again, I was on the committee and mm-hmm. Mr. Floyd talked to us about this. It's very difficult when you start having that conversation. So theoretically, somebody says, yeah, let's have a set of guidelines. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> let's start that conversation. Now, how is that going to go? So if you think about the site reading guidelines, you have all these range limitations. Mm -hmm. You have these key signature limitations. Everything is in a very tight box, very tight parameters of what you can write, what you can't write. Mm -hmm. And so historically, the committees have felt like it's it's impossible to write parameters like that for the PML. Because as you well know, as a creative person, you know, somebody tells you, okay, we want you to, you can't, you can't write a note higher than this on the flute and you mm-hmm. have to write in three, four time. You can't write six, eight and you do this and you can't do this and you can't do this. Now go be creative. Right. And that's, as you know, really difficult. Sure. And, and so the idea is to cast as wide a net as possible, let people write whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Um, so when pieces are submitted, the person submitting the piece could call it a grade three. Sure. But if the committee likes it, they may say, well, you know what? This is a grade two. So they can regrade it. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And okay. that, in fact, that's that's quite common because, oh. um, you know, you'll see publishers call something a 2.5. Yep. So, well, okay, is that a three or is that a, We don't have a 2.5. Correct. Yeah. So I don't yeah. think we're going to have a 2.5 list for a while. No, but, no. But, uh, yeah, it obviously has to go one direction or the other. So back to the other part of your question. So historically, we haven't had stated parameters on what can be in each grade level. Mm-hmm. But what we do refer to is what groups can play off of which grade list. Right, yes. So here's uh-huh. how the conversation typically goes. Okay, this is a 6A high school. Yeah. Well, a 6A high school band, their minimum requirements are a grade 5 and a grade 4. And so if a piece is being considered um, as a possible hard grade 3 or easy (laughs) grade Uh 4, then often the committee will say, you know, should a 6A varsity band Uh be able to play this for their second selection? Right. 
So that's usually how this conversation goes okay. when a piece is on the line. Yeah. Um, and the same thing happens with a triple C middle school, with right. a double C, because a triple C middle school, two grade twos mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for the varsity requirement, double C middle school, a two and a one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's often how the conversation goes rather than putting all these tight limitations that will do nothing, I think, but stir up controversy <laughs> about, well, why why can't I write uh, a high C on the trumpet? I can right. only write up to a B flat. That's ridiculous. Yeah, well, so yeah. this piece can't be considered yeah, yeah. for a grade four because I wrote one. Right, which I understand. Of, no, out of range. And so, um, so we typically, again, revert to what size schools, varsity, non-varsity, can play a particular piece uh-huh. as to what grade level it uh-huh. comes. Wow. Okay. I, I didn't even take that into consideration. That makes sense. That that makes sense. Um, so there's another states, they have a grade six mm-hmm. or they have what they call like the masterworks, right? And so when they do their state lists, they have three pieces and they say, you have to choose one from the masterworks list, which is your symphony and B flats, your Lincolnshire posy, your first suite, you know, the, the pieces that we have hold up as canons. So Cornerstone works. Correct. Yeah. And then they go, then the re- then you have your free choice, which is from the li- uh, anything, and then they have one from the list, right? And so it seems like now pieces are getting, I don't want to say harder, because we've always had hard music, but you have these pieces <clears throat> that almost now you have like a normal five and you have like a super five. Um, is there any, you said there was a six, Did, was that what that was and why'd y'all get rid of it? And what's, yeah. Know? So, so my understanding, and, and this was before my time, so I'm, I'm going to repeat what I've been told yeah, yeah, sure. speculation at this point, <laughs> but, um, I was told, uh, by Mr. Floyd, my predecessor, mm-hmm. that there was a grade six list at some point. Now the, at some point part, <laughs> I can tell you is before 1992, because that's when I started teaching, and it didn't exist in 1992. I believe it was in the 80s. And so um, the conversation, as you imagine, well, why did we do away with the grade six list? Uh, My understanding, it was because too many people, and again, this is not my opinion, this Mm -hmm. is what what was shared with me, too many people were trying to play a grade six just to play a grade six. Well, we played a grade six. Yeah, yeah. And so the apparently there was an impact on quality of performance oh, um, uh-huh. because of too many people just trying to say they played a grade six. Right, right. There was not a requirement to play a grade six. Oh, okay. Um, we just had a grade six list. So my understanding is that uh, the, the largest high schools could choose from the five or six list. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, past that, I couldn't tell you why it went away. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. With that being said, uh, like anything else, we're always open to discussion, renew ideas, and making things better. So you're not set on five? No, five no. Not Let's a, go ten. Not, Come on. Not at all. Why not? No. Why not? Um, so this is, this is going to be more of an opinion question. What makes a piece worthy enough to be on the PML? Because you served on the committee, yeah. um, and you kind of oversee things, and I'm sure you don't step in and go like, no, we're doing that one. But... It, it's it's probably a question that you're going to answer one way and any member of the committee will answer completely different. But I'm curious what yes. you think makes a piece worthy enough to be. And you're here. right. You just answered the question right there. <laughs> so every committee makes a decision on pieces that they think should be on the PML. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this goes back to the committee members and hopefully having committee members that are great teachers mm-hmm. that uh, have a pretty um, uh, good knowledge of the repertoire. And so essentially they're asking their sel- themselves the question, um, let's find the best music that should be used as a long-term project in the classroom. 
So that's a real broad statement. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, with that being said, they're looking, I think, for music that has the highest artistic merit for its grade level, okay. which is really difficult, as right. you well know, in grade one, grade yeah. two, and grade three because Absolutely. of all the parameters we mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. But the highest quality music for that grade level, um, there are pieces that are, I think, of great quality that are not on the PML that might be great for a region band situation. Sure, so, sure. wow, I want to do this piece and... And, you know, it's perfect for working on for two days. Right. But do we want to spend six weeks on it? Do we want to spend eight weeks on it or however long your your, yeah. your period of time that mm-hmm. you're going to work on your music? So I think, you know, each committee, to, and like you said, each committee's an- member's answer is going to be slightly different. Right. And that's why we keep the process organic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's two new committee members every year. The UIL, and I say the UIL, um, all of us who work there, mm-hmm. do not tell the committee members anything about what we think should be on the, the list because right. we, we, don't, we don't want to um, do anything to impact that process. We want them to make the decision. Mm-hmm. We just want them to simply be thinking about music that's of the highest quality but also um, is a good fit for a long-term project in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so – that process is all over the map. And, and, you know, there are some people that think, and I'm going down another rabbit trail here, but there are some people that think that if a piece goes on the PML, it should never come off. And I, was, and I think that's one of the things I want to ask because it's, it's a digital list now. You don't have to worry about printing out a book and sending to every it school is. in the country. So, I, But I also understand times change, and sometimes you're like, we're it does. So better now. So or, think about this. Um, I would challenge anybody who feels that way to mm-hmm. go back and pull a prescribed music list from 1960 <laughs> and look at that list uh-huh. and apply that principle. Right. And tell me how you feel. Tell me if you would feel the same way. All, the, all those pieces should be there. I, I, I'm going to venture to guess that you might not feel that way about, sure. oh, well, that was 1960. We're doing better now. Well, you know, again, everything is organic. It's constantly mm-hmm. evolving. It's constantly changing. Right. There was a, a piece that um, was added to the prescribed music list when I was on the committee, mm-hmm. and I was one of the ones that voted for it and should be added. And then about 20 years later, fairly recently, the committee said, we want to take this piece off. And I was not offended by that. Right. You know, at the time, I think in some ways, um, some pieces are, it's like the emperor's new clothes, you know, it's wonderful. <laughs> Everybody's playing it. It's the flavor of the month. Oh, and then, yes. You know, and then 10, 20 years later, a different set of eyes, different set of ears go, well, you know, uh, right. I don't know about it. But we also ask the committee every year, ask yourself this, is this of similar quality to anything else that's on the PML? And that's another question that I'm going to, I'm going to get to about that is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. That, that, that's interesting. So on your website, it says not your personal website on on bradkent.com. No, UIL website. The selection committee welcomes the opportunity to review any current year releases for concert band, choir, string, and full orchestra. Music published prior to the current year will not be considered unless it has not been recently submitted. So why is this the case? Can't one committee deem a piece worthy when a previous committee did not? Yeah, so the key part to that statement you just read is recently. So so it can be resubmitted. There we go. Um, I'm going to send you a bunch of scores. I think, and and you bring up a great point, I think we need to clarify what recently means. And, uh, in fact, we talked about that recently in the UI office. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, that was too easy. (laughs) Got to take the easy ones, right? Uh, 
And we, we feel like that maybe a three-year period would be good because oh. after three years, most of the committee has turned over. Right, right. Um, oh. So that, hence the word recently is important there. Now, submitting pieces in consecutive years. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah um, because... Uh, it, it, Five of them have already have seen it already, right? Right, right, yeah. exactly. So, yeah, I mean, we welcome pieces being resubmitted to your question because the committee is different, and so the keyword to that statement is recently. This is this is this is great. This really the purpose of this podcast is for me for my own purposes. So, um, you're you're going to leave with a box of scores. No, um, so in a lot of ways, and you start talking about this, and I we we I wanted to pause because there's a question about that. Pieces being submitted aren't only quote unquote competing with this year's submission, but also pieces that already exist on the list. And that, here's a personal example. I wrote a piece for Brazoswood. TMEA concert, um, their honor band concert, and a number of people thought like, oh, that's a great piece. It should go on the list. It's very Sam Hazo ride-like in that like four-minute kind of yeah. driving whatever uh-huh. um, in length, difficulty, somewhat style, whatever. But since ride was at the time already on the list, there's not that need to add another piece that's already like ride. So is that assessment correct that you're like, well, we already have a piece like that. We don't need to add another piece already. I've never heard a discussion like that. Oh, okay. okay. I've never heard a committee have that discussion, mm-hmm. uh, nor have I heard that discussion or sure. been part of that discussion. Mm-hmm. I think uh, each committee is trying to evaluate each piece mm-hmm. um, for its own artistic merit and its place in the repertoire. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that um, with one composer, there could be a discussion. I have heard this before where this piece sounds like this composer's other piece. Gotcha. gotcha. And it's not maybe not different enough. Then, sure. but but comparing two composers, mm-hmm. I've never heard that discussion. Okay, but but you did said earlier that you know you're, you're there is the, already a list of pieces on there, and if there's things already that meet that one. Yeah, but and again, in all fairness, there's no quota. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not we're not saying okay, you can only add ten pieces this year. That's some, we, no, boy, uh, you, you read ahead. There, there, <laughs> there is there is no quota uh, with the number of pieces that can be added or taken off mm-hmm. or anything like that. Again, it's an organic process. It's free reign. Absolutely. So, yeah. um, so in 2019, which we just finished, mm-hmm. only 19 pieces were added, so I'm assuming 20 will be added this year. Um, you had one grade one, four grade twos, two grade threes, six grade fours, and six grade fives. But you just said this, I mean, with the list being digital and there's no need to quote unquote save room, um, if there were 700 pieces submitted, I guess they really... They were like, only 19 are, quote unquote, worthy enough to be added to this list, right? Like, that committee felt that way in that particular year, yeah. I don't know math real quick, but that's that's a pretty it's small, a small percentage. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it is a pretty small percentage. Yeah. Right, right. So it's just, it's. I, I guess when it was every four years, were the restrictions a little looser? Because they're like, we're doing this every four years, and now that's every year, you're, you're like a little tighter? Uh, I don't recall that being really any different. Sure. Um, I think it, in some ways it's better now because they can be reviewed every year. Pieces can be submitted every year. Sure. Um, uh, without obviously doing consecutive years, but mm-hmm. um, I, I will t- a little inside information. Oh, uh, here we go. This, this committee, this year's committee, is adding more pieces than the 2019 committee. Of course, I didn't submit any uh, this year. So. I think I, especially on on some of the lower grade levels. So, it. And, and I will say, going back historically, that's always been a mission of the committee. Sure. To find more quality music on grade one, two, and three, especially one and two. It's really oh, difficult. Yeah. And so, hence, what did you say, 2019, one grade one? Uh, yes, you had one grade yeah, one. Yeah, <laughs> and so, <laughs> I know, and we want to see more, you know, but it right. just depends on what's submitted each year. That's the thing. Um, I don't write grade ones for the very reason you said. It's 
It's hard. I think it's probably the hardest grade. Oh my god! Every time I write something and I send to my my brother or other band, like no, you can't do that. It's like what? Too difficult. What are you talking about? That rhythm's too hard. Like no, it's okay. Quarter notes, half notes, (laughs) dotted quarter eighth. I I did. Yeah, I did a dotted eighth. Like we can't do that. No, dotted quarter eighth is living on the edge. It it, it, is. It's crazy because to me, whenever I do marching band music or concert music, I'm a percussionist, so there is no rhythm too hard to me to mark time to. Right. So that's in your DNA. Yeah. So if I'm like, oh, it's one note. Nope, that rhythm's too hard. Like, what are you talking about? It's on the and, it's on the e. And you know, Jeremy Spicer, I work with him a lot, and he's always like, just take that out, put it on the, put it on the down. He's like, no, it's not the same thing. He goes, no one's gonna play it right. So, but you're, I mean, grade ones and twos, man, those are it's really different. I, there are there are more of those grades that are going to be added in 2020. Oh my gosh, this is a hot take, yeah. boy, boy. And your episode's dropping before TMEA, so oh, all right. everyone's going to be really mad with you. Um, I'm assuming, no, not really. Um, all right, so you alluded to this, but I would like to discuss the diversity initiative. On your website, it says, the UIL encourages the submission of works for underrepresented composers, groups, and or cultures. What are the steps being taken to ensure that music written by what they call historically underrepresented groups, including women, composers of color, LGBT, etc., is not only being considered, but also being added to the list? Yeah, so this initiative, um, first off, was started this year. Oh, okay. So it's brand new. Mm -hmm. Uh, We talked to the committees about it at our summer meeting in San Antonio Mm -hmm. this past July. And we felt like that we needed to take some steps to increase the diversity, uh, the cultural diversity. Mm -hmm. So what what we're calling it a cultural diversity initiative. Gotcha. So we're looking for um, diversity with composers, but Mm -hmm. we're also looking for diversity with the actual literature. Sure, sure. Um, regardless of who wrote the piece. Right, and, right. and so the first step in this process is to raise the awareness. Because if the committee doesn't know the music is out there, they can't consider it. That is correct. Right? Yeah. right? I mean, so, so what we're trying to do is a first step is cast a wide net for awareness. Mm-hmm. Put this out there. This information that you just shared was sent to all the publishers. Okay. Um, this past fall before the portal opened in August and right. said, please submit pieces by these underrepresented composer groups. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so I do not have any data right now sure, to give sure. you on what the result of that was in year one. Right, right. But I expect this is going to be an ongoing, very extensive process mm-hmm. over many years. And in my opinion, will never end. I don't see us taking that off of the website. Mm-hmm. I think that that needs to be a, an ongoing process. I, I agree, um, obviously. And so our hope is, as you would imagine, that if more of these pieces, if the awareness is raised, mm-hmm. then more pieces can be added because the awareness is raised. Right. And then once more pieces are added, then hopefully it inspires more composers to write pieces, composers from these underrepresented composers sure. to write music and hopefully in the long term, inspire young people to become composers who may think, well, you know, I'm, I I don't look like Beethoven or I don't look like Bach. So I guess I shouldn't be a composer. Exactly. And we don't want, we want kids to dream and we want kids to, if we want to be a composer, yes, Mm -hmm. you can be a composer. So to me, these, this is a multifaceted process that's going to happen over a long time. For sure. And you, you just, it's like, you've got these notes before me because it it might be like um, a concern that certain composers get a quote unquote free pass onto the PML. Like, I can think of a handful of composers who seem to be added to the list every single year. And it doesn't mean that they aren't good or the piece isn't worthy. It just might appear that if you're a new, fresh voice composer, you're kept off the list in order to keep adding these pieces by whatever composer is traditionally always added to a grade two or a grade three list or whatever. Um, I mean, 
aren't 36 pieces by the same composer enough to be added to the PML? I mean, there is a composer, and you can look it up, that this particular composer, 36 pieces. And it's not to say that what this person writes isn't good or not good or whatever, but 36 is a lot of pieces. And there are, as you said, underrepresented uh, composers who maybe they don't even apply, maybe they do apply, but it's like, oh, so-and-so wrote another piece. Put it on the list. I mean, it... it well, and, and I appreciate you asking that question because mm-hmm. I want to say again, I've never heard a conversation like that. Sure. We've never had a conversation like that. I've never heard a committee. And if I did hear the committee have that conversation, I would tell them, no, 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 no. Right. No. Yeah. No. We, we consider each piece on its own volition. Um, now, we've had committee members tell us, uh, hey, is there any way in the portal you could not list the composer? Because oh. they because they don't want to be biased, and they feel like that if they would know, be amazing. if they feel like they know, then mm-hmm. they can't avoid the bias, you know, one way or the other. Right, and and you know certain styles, like you mentioned, John Mackey. You know, when you hear a fast piece by John, oh, that's John Mackey, right? Like you get it. Whole singer was the same way. Gillingham, Eric Whitaker, you know that kind of stuff. But I know there's so many composition contests that they say names cannot appear on anything. Uh, is that something that you, some, you might yeah, consider? Yeah, we would absolutely consider you that. In fact, that. that was brought up at last Monday's meeting. Oh, you should so, do that. Do you have to vote for that? Is that a CCSR uh, thing? No, or? no, no, no. We don't have to vote for that. We would want to uh, consider it and discuss it a little bit more mm-hmm. before we do that. But I think it's a great idea because we, again, want them to evaluate each piece on its own volition. Thank you. Yes. Um, I think that's all you know, we really want. And, 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 <laughs> and, and not have bias in it. Of course, you know? of and, course. And um, so that that could be a way of keeping some of that bias out. Right. For Cause, sure. Because the reality is if a piece was submitted that sounded like the most recent Oswald winning piece. You're like, oh, I know who wrote this. I know what this piece is. You know, you're going to know what comes right. Sunday is, even if you don't know that there's no name. We understand that there's not a total lack of bias on that. But um, if you don't have the composer's name, heck, if you don't even have the publisher's name, because I understand that there are some companies that are well known for producing educational music and whatever. And if you don't see that on there, maybe the bias isn't is also removed. But I, w- I personally would welcome any it, sort of anonymous thing. Yeah, great reference to Omar Thomas's music, by the oh way. Oh, my God. I love his music. I, I, the last two podcasts, which are going to come out soon, I just we've talked about it like the whole time. Are you playing one of his pieces at the concert? Uh, last year, we did For a New Day Begun. Oh, okay, So we cool. did that with the Texas Youth Wind Symphony in yeah. March of 2019. Mm-hmm. And then um, I conducted it with a region band in the Houston area in December of this year. Oh, so I've okay. done it twice. Right, and right, right. I, I just love his music. Oh, it's, so it's, so it's, yeah, it's and really cool. Of course, I um, uh, heard Shenandoah at the Midwest Clinic right, this year. Right. Um, uh, we had one of our middle school bands from the Austin area play there. Yes. Yeah. Uh, is it Grisham, right? Yeah. Grisham. Yeah, Grisham yeah. and Jerry and, Junkin guest conductor. Uh-huh. It's great. Yeah. No, no, no. He's, he's, I, I, I welcome the opportunity to keep talking about him because for some reason, some people still don't know about him and his music. It's well, like, you need to. Everybody, yeah. you need to know Omar, yeah. Omar Thomas's music. Yeah. And bring him down too. I, I just, I really buy into his whole uh, presentation and his character and just his personal mission. Very authentic. Oh yeah. yeah it's fantastic. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. Speaking of the Midwest Clinic, I want to talk about their recent programming recommendations. The committee, the Midwest Committee, uh, recommends that the Midwest add a band and orchestra requirement for performing ensembles to program at least one piece of uh, music from composers from historically underrepresented groups, including women, composers of color, LGBTQIA2+, disabled, etc. Is there any sort of consideration for something like that for UIL concert and sight reading? Uh, The short answer is yes. So we do have on our website... In the performance requirements mm-hmm. for each of the three divisions, 
um, we are encouraging directors, and we added that this year as oh, part okay. of this cultural diversity initiative. Mm-hmm. So if you go to the website and you look under the performance requirements for concert and sight reading for band, choir, and orchestra, um, you will see that we are encouraging people to program pieces or consider programming pieces by underrepresented composers. Uh, or underrepresented um, uh, cultures, if you will. Awesome. So, yes, that's a first step. Yeah. Similar to what we discussed earlier with the first step on the mm-hmm. PML. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was not aware of Midwest. Did that just happen, or did they yeah. have that in place in 2019? No, they just, they just, it was like decided that we would like to recommend this as a thing. And I think, you know, already there's a, a, a groundswell of support for this type of thing. Sure. But I don't think by any means it's a quote-unquote requirement. And so I it's probably starting for their for the 2020. I believe so. I think it's going to be one of those like, hey, you need to do this because I think groups get their invitations like in March, April first. Yeah, they the ta- it's weird. So you want to talk about quick turnaround? They just submit by March fifteenth, and they're usually fine the first Monday in April. So they lock themselves in a room and listen to all those recordings. Yeah, and then the ever it's first come first serve on that music. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yes, yeah. Everyone's on their computer. Yeah, that's a feeding frenzy. It is. Yeah, yeah. that's a, that's another list people want. Yeah, to exactly. On. Well, and I think too, it's important to remember the difference in one of the differences in the Midwest clinic process and the UIL concert and sight reading process. So if you do a concert at Midwest, you are playing probably seven, eight, nine, ten pieces mm-hmm, of music. Mm-hmm. So you have more flex. You're playing more music. You have more flexibility in programming. Yeah. And in the UIL process you have three pieces. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, though, we are encouraging uh, directors to consider programming pieces from uh, the Cultural Diversity Initiative awesome. process. Awesome. Uh, is there any talk about altering the existing performance requirements for bands? As it stands for high school varsity bands right now, the first selection has to come from the grade five, as you mentioned. The second selection has to come from the grade four or five. They could do two fives if they wanted. And the third tune, or a march, is a, is a director's choice. Um, Maybe like you perhaps still keep the first requirement, but the third requirement, um, um, keep the third one, but actually make it a march. So you have a grade five. And then the second requirement is is a director's choice. It's a free skate, if you will. Is, is there ever any talk of that or y'all just like, no? We haven't had any formal discussions on that. Mm-hmm. Um, it does come up periodically. And as I I always tell people we want our process to be organic mm-hmm. from the from the field. Uh, right. We want rule suggestions, rule change suggestions to come from the field. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't want it to come from the UIL office because that works both ways, as you might imagine. Sure. Somebody said, well, you know, we don't. This is what the state office wants to do. <laughs> well, they th- may might think that's great if it fits their agenda, but then inevitably it's not going to fit someone's agenda. Of course, of course. And uh, as we laugh and say sometimes, the only thing that's controversial about the UIL is everything we do. <laughs> so You don't say. So with that being said, we, we want those rule suggestions to come from the field. So everyone should just start emailing you. Yeah, I mean, there's a process to address that. Let's Every, do it. A, a, everything. It's like, a, yeah. it's like a rules congress, right? It, 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 yeah, of. in our own way, yes. Yeah. We have our own rule promulgation process. Wow, all right. Yeah. Well, that's the concert band portion of this. Do you, do you need a drink? Do we need to push pause? All right. About a topo, topo chico. A topo. I only have mineral. Mineral work. Yeah, absolutely. All right. This episode of Sketchbook Podcast is recorded, edited, and produced by me, Daniel Montoya Jr. in Austin, Texas. Our logo is created by John Su of Purpose Designs, and our music is provided by Epidemic Sound. If you enjoy Sketchbook, tell a friend about the show or share a link on social media. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and you might find your review featured on a future episode. Got questions, comments, suggestions, or concerns? Email us at sketchbookpodcast at gmail.com. 
It too could be featured on a future episode. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at SketchbookPod and join the Sketchbook community on Facebook at Sketchbook Podcast. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Sketchbook Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. Thanks for listening.